Did you know that building a deep and satisfying connection with others doesn't have to be toxic to them or to you? Hi, my name is Ken Williams, and I'm a faith-based life coach. I've been married for over 30 years in a row, and I'm the host of Untoxic Positivity, a podcast where we explore a more positive approach to great relationships with your in-laws. So join me as we delve into the ins and outs of connecting with others around us. So if you're hoping to figure out a way to get your kids to choose the right life partner, or if you just want to stop dreading the family get-togethers, this is the podcast for you. Get ready to discover the power of untoxic positivity and start living your most connected life today. Welcome back. And uh, this is something I've been thinking about for a little bit. I've got uh, some different thoughts that uh, I have been putting together. And if you listened to my other podcast, Chocolate Cake Bites, um, I told the same story. But this is going to have a little bit of a different slant to it. Uh, the details are going to be pretty much the same. But this is going to be called, uh, this, I'm going to call this Trust Your Instrument. Trust Your Instruments, <laughs> if I can get the words out. And um, Chocolate Cake Bites, if you have not listened to that, that's more of a faith-based um, podcast. This is where I emphasize, I emphasize, I emphasize more on uh, on coaching and relationships and, and how to have your best life. And the thought for this really came up a week or so ago when I was at a seminar. The seminar was called the Rusty Pilots Seminar. About 15 years ago, I got my pilot's license. I'm a private pilot. And that has been a very cool experience to be able to go fly. I've taken all my kids flying. My wife will not go. <laughs> she doesn't want me to kill us both, which I understand that. But I've successfully landed every single time I've successfully taken off. So that's good. And it's been a while. Um... I have found, it seems anyways, that I have time to go flying, but no money. And that has largely been when <laughs> my position has been eliminated, and so I'm out of work. Plenty of time. <laughs> and um, Or I have money, I have employment, but I have no time. And uh, the first time, really, I, that I had time and no money was I, as I was in my flight training. I was working for a company and things were busy. Things were very busy. I was uh, the president of the young men's organization in the Muncie stake, uh, which for the church, a stake is a group of congregations. I don't remember how many congregations we had. I think it was nine. And so I was responsible for the young men's program across these nine congregations. Really, I was a support to the individual congregations. And then we had our own uh, larger efforts. I was doing that. Marcine, my sweet wife, was the Relief Society president. She's the president of the women's group in our in our own congregation. I was in a full-time job, which kept me certainly a little bit busy. And I was also in an MBA program, working to get my master's, as well as in flight school. A lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. And um, I went into work one day to find out that my job had been eliminated. Not a super big surprise. I had seen it coming really over the course of several years. And that particular day was the day that my boss said he was coming in to, quote, 
touch base. <laughs> and uh, I had the thought, I had the, the thought as I was driving to school earlier in the week that he wasn't coming into town to touch base. He was coming to town to uh, eliminate my position. And so I had kind of that, that um, I'll just call it a spiritual heads up. I just had the thought as I was driving to school, he's, you're not going to be employed by the end of the week. Well, so that happened and uh, I was a little bit stunned, a little bit um, out of sorts, not quite sure how I was going to navigate this new experience. And Marcin told me, now's the time to finish getting your license. If you don't do it, you'll never do it. And I loved the support that I got from her. So I, I thought in my head, I, it's been, oh, five or six years since I've been flying. I didn't, you know, time passes and I don't uh, necessarily pay attention to how much time has passed. Um, so I went to this rusty pilot seminar. They hold these seminars, AOPA, which is the air, airplane, I think it's airplane pilots, owners, airplane pilots and owners association, something like that. Anyways, they have these seminars that they put on around the country just to get people like me, people that have their license, but haven't flown for a while, comfortable getting back in the, in the left seat, which is the pilot seat. And as those who have come around, as I've been made aware of them, I get emails, I get uh, sometimes even notices in the mail. There have been a couple that have been marginally convenient. Terre Haute, I think, was one. That's about an hour and a half away. And I, it just hasn't worked out. I've had conflicts. And well, then they, they did one at the airport that's just down the street from my house. And when I say down the street from my house, I could walk there in 10 minutes. And the the traffic pattern when people when pilots come into land depending on the winds sometimes they're flying right over our house i have loved it i've loved being this close it's just been fun and so that airport was hosting this rusty pilot seminar i decided to go it was free for members of aopa and so there wasn't any reason that i couldn't go so i went a little bit Unsure. Now, <laughs> for those who know me, may not believe this, but it's true. I'm I'm really quite a bit introverted. I enjoy sitting on the sidelines. I like watching other people in the middle of the action, but I'm not always comfortable getting into the middle of it myself. And so getting into a group of pilots where I already feel a little bit intimidated because there are a lot of things about flying planes that I'm just not super expert at the, the technology is changing. I learned on round dials, which I think is what they're calling the, some of the older planes round dials. The, the instruments are driven by air pressure. Um, and so I, I just wasn't quite sure what I was in for, but it was close and it was, it was free. And so I decided to go and <laughs> when I got there, I see this room full of men. There's one woman. She's the instructor and everybody else male and older than me. Uh, I think there were two. <laughs> there were two people that were younger than me. And I don't feel terribly old, but this I, I definitely lowered the average age. 
And um, so we start the seminar. She she starts the the presentation by asking, "How long? How long has it been since you've been flying?" And so I just kind of went back in my memory. How long has it been? And like I said earlier, I thought maybe five or six years. So she said one to five years. And there are a few hands that go up. I did not raise my hand because I thought I'm in the five to 10 year range. So I raised my hand when she gets to the five to 10 and then she goes 11. She goes up to, I think, 20 plus years since people have been flying. And there were a handful of people in that range. Uh, the guy sitting next to me, Ned, he was a retired airline pilot who took his exit during COVID. Uh, but it had been a long time since he'd flown the smaller planes. So he was trying to get back into that. And um, a great, great seminar. Just very easy way to kind of get back into it. She did a flight simulation. And what I mean by that is it was just the paperwork and kind of the discussion, the planning phases of a, pl of a flight into Orlando on New Year's Eve. And so it just helped get us re-familiar with some of the guidelines, some of the rules and regulations. So that was great. But that doesn't mean anything <laughs> if I don't do anything with it. So one of the reasons that I haven't flown for so long is because I lost my license. And when I say I lost my license, I mean I literally can't find it. <laughs> so it's not that I did something bad and, and the authorities came and took it. Uh, just like driving a car, in order to legally drive a car, you have to have on your person a driver's license. In order to pilot a plane, in order to legally pilot a plane, you have to have on your person your pilot's license. And I can't find it. I put it someplace. I don't know where. <laughs> and I've looked every place that I can think of. I've checked in the junk drawer. I've checked in the glove compartment of my car. I've, I'm sure that at some point I was consolidating things so that I could transition from one wallet to another. And I decided, oh, I haven't used this for a while. And I'll just put it someplace else. And I can't remember where that someplace else is. And uh, going online, trying to find out how to get a replacement pilot's license, the FAA, which is part of the federal government, <laughs> the FAA says, oh, no problem. We just need to know what your certificate number is, the, like the driver's license number. I don't have any idea. It's on the license. If I could find it, I, I, had the, I could find the certificate number. I checked my pilot's logbook. I didn't write it down in there. I checked my emails to see if there was anything at all that I had sent or received that had my certificate number and nothing. I couldn't find anything at all. So I thought, nah, I'll just deal with it later. Well, at the seminar, I made contact with slash met. I didn't really meet him. He came in, introduced himself, but the chief flight instructor, who's a young kid, everybody to me is a young kid these days. And he uh, said, hey, I've got business cards here. I'd love to reach out to you. I'd love to connect with you if you have any questions. So I pick up his business card and I text him. I actually went to the airport that night. He wasn't there. And uh, the flight instructor that I talked to said, yeah, talk to, talk to the chief flight instructor. He probably knows how to get you taken care of. So I text him and he said, yeah, have you set up your account on this website? This is the website that the FAA uses to, um, for pilots to register. Well, I don't know. The technology has changed in the last 11 years. It wasn't one to five or five to 10 years. It was 11 years since I last flew, almost to the day. And man, time just snuck away from me. And the technology is so different now. So I didn't think that I'd registered, but I couldn't find anything that said that I did or didn't in my email. 
And so I, I sign up. Now, FAA, huge government entity, and I just thought, and I knew based on this seminar that the FAA is overworked and understaffed, just like a lot of us. And I thought, if I'm going to call them to find out if there's somebody who can go through some <laughs> file folder to find my certificate number, that's going to take months, if it's going to happen at all. So I just kind of put it aside. Well, when uh, Brooks asked me if I had uh, registered, I decided I'm going to register. What's the worst that can happen? And um, if nothing else, I'll at least attempt to register and it'll come back and say, sorry, you can't because you don't have your certificate number. Because it asked for my certificate number. It asked for the date that I got my license. It asked for my name and my birth date. So I put all the information in that I have, which was everything except for the certificate number. And I pull up, I hit the submit button and it pops up. Here's your certificate number. We found, we found your information. So it was that easy. So now that I have my certificate number, all it takes is $2. (laughs) So I go online onto the FAA website and I get a replacement pilot's license. And And they even emailed me a temporary so I can fly. I have a temporary authorization is what they called it. Temporary authorization to fly. Now, there are a couple other things before I can actually get up in the air. I have to have a flight review. Um, I actually had that scheduled for today, but it did not work out because the weather is not uh, conducive to flying. The ceiling is too low. I I have to stay out of clouds. And so that didn't happen, but I have another appointment scheduled for a couple weeks from now, so I'll get up in the air. And uh, I have to have a clean bill of health. I have to see a doctor that who who's going to sign off saying, yes, for the next two years, you're authorized to fly because you pose no medical threat. Meaning I'm not going to have a heart attack as I fly. Of course, who knows what might happen, but my current state of health indicates that uh, things are okay for me to be uh, able to be a pilot. So that is all in the works. I've got my, my medical appointment scheduled for later on this week. I've got my flight review. I'll have some, um, ground uh, discussions, ground school uh, that I'll do over the next week or two. I'll have my actual flight review in a couple weeks. I might do a couple of those just so I can make sure that I'm comfortable. And all that to say, uh, it's been a long time. And so as I was in this seminar, I had some things that came to my memory, some experiences that I had that, that really impacted me in a significant way as I was going through my flight training. One of my uh, favorite experiences that I thought for sure Marcine was going to tell me that that was the deal breaker for her, (laughs) that she didn't want me flying anymore, but she didn't. She was actually very supportive. It was the day that I went flying with my flight instructor, Jim, and he had me fly with my eyes closed. So one of the things, one of the things that we practice in our private pilot flight training is called unusual attitude recovery. Unusual means not normal. Attitude is the actual position that you hold in space. Are you at a bank? Are you headed up or down? Are you in kind of a roll configuration? What is it? What is your actual configuration? There's yaw, pitch, and roll are the three directions, the X, Y, and Z axes. And in order to practice this, the flight instructor gets the pilot or the, the student pilot disoriented. The way to do that is, first of all, you have to block out the um, 
outside world. You have to block out everything except for the instrument panel. There are two different instruments that I've seen where this is done when you're actually flying. You could do this in a simulator as well, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, when you're actually in the air, you can use something called a hood, which is a, imagine a long, uh, long build sun visor. That's a hood. Uh, the other thing is called foggles. Foggles are like um, safety glasses, but they're, um, what's a good word to describe it? I've described it in the past kind of like frosted glass. Uh, they're plastic safety goggle type glasses, but they're, it, it's um, like the, the glass has been frosted. You can't see through it. You can kind of see shapes, but it simulates being in clouds. So if you were to look outside the windshield of the plane, all you would see is nothing, <laughs> just this kind of blur. And it's uh, clear at the bottom part of the, the foggles, and so you can see the instruments. So either one of these allows you to, to practice unusual attitude recovery, recovery. So you're flying only by instruments. Now this is, if I go on to do instrument training, I'll have a lot more practice doing this. And I'll be authorized uh, at that point once I get a, an instrument rating. I'll be able to fly in the clouds, through the clouds, above the clouds, etc. Right now I have to stay uh, within visual flight rules, which means that if the ceiling is low, meaning the cloud cover is low, I can't fly. And right now that's fine. I am, <laughs> I'm just ready to get back up in the air. So I'm... I am doing my flight training with Jim and Jim takes me up. Well, actually at this point I'm doing most of the flying. So we take off, we go up about 4,000 feet. So we're at a safe altitude and Jim takes control of the airplane. He has me put the hood on and he tells me to close my eyes. He gives me control back of the airplane. I put my hands on the controls and when I'm flying a, uh, this is a single engine Cessna. I have one hand on the control yoke and one hand on the throttle. And that gives me, um, my left hand, I'm, I'm steering with that. Uh, forward, back is going to give me the up, down. Left, right is going to give me the uh, the roll that um, those two different uh, uh, directions, those orientations, and then the throttle allows me to increase, decrease the um, the throttle. It's not the necessarily the speed to increase speed. You go nose down, and to decrease speed, you go nose up. Um, a little bit different than in a car where you just hit the accelerator if you want to go faster. So Jim gets me uh, all set. I've got the, the hood on. All I can see is my instruments, and he tells me to close my eyes. Now, this is a little bit disorienting. It's a little bit uh, unnerving because we're 4,000 feet up, and I have my eyes closed. And I had to remind myself a couple times, Jim's not going to hurt both of us. He doesn't. He doesn't want us both to be injured. So he's going to do things in a smart way to protect both of us. But he had me close my eyes. And then he didn't say anything for a long time. It, it was, my guess is about a minute. We're flying straight and level. It's just nothing, silent for about a minute. And finally, he breaks the silence and he says, Ken, I want you to do a standard rate turn to the left. Now, standard rate turn is a very specific turn. It's a specific angle. And the angle isn't necessarily what's important, but the, the, and there's a little gauge. If you imagine a level, there's a, a, a ball in fluid that will roll. And there's kind of a silhouette of an airplane 
And as the ball rolls to the wingtip, then uh, on this uh, this little gauge, it indicates that you're in a standard rate turn. A standard rate. A standard rate is in two minutes at this turn rate, you're going to do a 360 degree turn. This is important because if you are flying into a dangerous situation like a thunderstorm and you want to get out and let's just suppose you get disoriented, you can't figure out things, uh, you can't tell from the ground that you're headed uh, into or away from the storm. You can set your timer for one minute, hit that standard rate on your instrument panel and in one minute you're going to be uh, heading the exact opposite direction that you just came from, or that you're heading the exact direction you came from, the exact opposite direction that you were flying. So the problem is I can do a standard rate turn with my eyes open. That's no problem, but my eyes are closed. So I have to guess. So I turn to the left a little bit. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that I'm at about a standard rate turn. And I remember, based on my experience, based on some of the instruction that I had, once you turn the aircraft, once you change the lift dynamics on the wing, you lose lift. You actually increase the drag as you're turning, and you have to counteract that by pulling back on the control yoke. You have to, um, and then there's an, an adjustment with the throttle as well to make sure that you're maintaining the same airspeed. So I make all these adjustments, but I'm just guessing because I have no idea. I'm just guessing. So again, Jim is silent for about a minute. I'm at this turn for about a minute and nothing. He didn't say anything for about a minute. And then he said, okay, go back to straight and level. So I have to undo everything I just did, which is fine. But again, I'm guessing. I think that I adjusted the um, the pitch of the aircraft, the aircraft about this much. And I adjusted the throttle about this much. And I adjusted the... Um, uh, there's some rudder work as well, but so I thought I had done everything back to straight and uh, level flight. He keeps me there for about a minute, and then he says, "Now let's do a standard rate turn to the right." So I'm doing the same thing, but instead of to the left, I'm going to the right this time, and again for about a minute, it's silent. And after about a minute, Jim says, "Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to straight and level flight." So I do. I make my best guess, straight and level. And um, at one point during this whole interaction, Jim says, now keep your eyes closed, which I interpreted as he thinks you're cheating. You're killing this. You're doing so great that he thinks that you're peeking at the instruments. And I was not. I was still with my eyes closed. I was doing this the right way. And as I go back to straight and level after my standard rate, my attempted assumed a standard rate to the right, go back to straight and level. I noticed a couple of things. Jim didn't say anything, but I noticed that the engine was getting faster. Engines aren't supposed to get faster if you don't make any changes uh, to your throttle. It doesn't go faster if you're in straight level flight. It only gets faster if you're going down. And I also notices, noticed that I was lifting up out of my seat. And you're not supposed to lift up out of your seat if you're <laughs> in straight level flight. Finally, finally, Jim said, open your eyes and recover. The word recover means you're not going where you thought, <laughs> you're not going where you thought you were. So 
I open my eyes. And again, I have the hood on. All I can see is the instrument panel. And this is the whole point of the, the exercise. By using only instruments, can I get back to a straight and level configuration? So I did. We got there and he said, oh, that was so much fun. Let's do it again. So we do it again. Same results. Um, and when I say I was not straight and level, just imagine <laughs> how not straight and level I was. I was at about a 30 degree bank. I thought I was straight. I was at a 30 degree bank and I was going down at about a 30 degree pitch. And I thought I was straight. I thought I was level. And I was way off. Jim said, let's do it again. We did it again. We did it several times. Same results. Same results. Now, there have been a lot of times I've talked to people as I've worked with youth groups at church and things like that. I've told the story and I've had uh, <laughs> teenage boys are arrogant. And I've had teenage boys tell me, oh, well, I could do that. And the answer is no, you can't. You can't. It is, it is not possible. It is, um, I've had um, flight instructors. I've had FAA examiners. I've had people with much more experience than I have who have said they can't do it. I'm telling you, you can't do it. They call it seat of the pants flying. Seat of the pants flying is exactly what it sounds like and maybe a little bit different than what you're thinking, but it means how you feel in the seat determines how you fly. The problem with that is that your body lies to you. Your body will tell you things that aren't true. Your body will tell you that you're going straight and level when you're not going straight and level. Your body will say you're straight, you're level, and really you're at a 30 degree bank and a 30 degree, degree pitch going down. You can't trust your body. And this was the whole point of the exercise. Jim looked at me as we got back to a safe configuration and uh, I, I took the hood off and we're flying and we're just out in a, a practice area. So not a lot of traffic, not a lot of things going on. And he just had the opportunity to reinforce his point. He said, Ken, you can't trust your body. Your body will lie to you. You have to trust your instruments. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And he let that just hang, hang there for a minute. And he said it again. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And he said it again. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And he said it again. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. Four times, I think he said it. And he said, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, I think I get your point. He said, if you don't trust your instruments, you will die. And we talked briefly about some, um, some stories that had been in the news about pilots that didn't trust their instruments. They trusted what they saw outside the windshield. They thought they saw the ground when really they saw stars. They got disoriented and ended up dying. So the thing that is crazy to me is intellectually, that doesn't make sense. Why shouldn't I trust myself? The problem is your body will lie to you. And so here's a, here's an example. Here's uh, a, first of all, an aviation example. I was doing one of my flight reviews where I was under the hood and uh, meaning I had the hood on and, and I was flying just by looking at my instruments. And it is really easy to get disoriented in a situation like that. You have to trust your instruments. And as I was doing this, 
I felt a little bit of vertigo. I felt like I was turning. My body, everything that I had told me I was turning. I was turning in the air. But my instruments all said, I know you're straight, you're level, you're you're going in in one single straight line direction. And my body fought that and said, no, I'm not, I'm turning. So I peaked. I peaked. I lifted my head up enough that I could see just outside the corner of the windshield and my instruments were right. I was not turning. I was going straight. Your body will lie to you. If you don't trust your instruments, you will die. So how does this apply in a coaching situation? The problem that I've found, uh, I've learned this and I'm, I've learned better, I think, how to articulate it as I've, as I've uh, hired and, and used coaches, as I've um, been involved in coaching other people as well, that a lot of times when we think things, we assume it's true. It feels so true. Um, like last week, last week's episode about that's just Jason. If I think Jason's a weirdo, that feels so true because I, of course, am the beacon of normalcy and anything that deviates from what I think is normal, of course, is weird. This is the problem. This is the feeling that comes from my body. My body will lie to you. Your body will lie to you. My body lies to me. Because of the thoughts that we have, we, they feel so true to us. And if we don't trust that we might be wrong, we might be off in our thinking. And if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't allow for our own mistakes, if we don't allow for our own uh, shortcomings, if we just assume that everything we think, everything that we feel, everything we believe, everything we, that comes from our head is true because it feels true. It feels right. But if we don't trust those instruments, if we don't trust some of those outside influences, if we don't trust a coach, for example, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill us. It's going to kill us from a relationship standpoint. And there are other applications, of course, I'm sure that as you think about that, you might find other ways that that might apply. I was talking to my mom as I was going through my coach certification program. And my mom said, and she's just trying to help me out. She's just just trying to to protect me and make sure I'm not making dumb decisions. And why does everybody want a life coach? Why does everybody want to be a life coach? Why does everybody need a coach? And here's my answer. And it took me a couple days to really really, uh, drill down into this because I felt at first, um, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Why does everybody need a coach? Here's why. Because the coach can see things that you can't. As a coach, I see things that you can't see in how your brain is working, in what your brain is seeing or not seeing. And I can help you pick up on those. I can help you recognize those. Tiger Woods, great golfer, has a coach. Michael Jordan, great uh, athlete, has a coach, had a coach. I don't know if he still does. But the coach can see things that you can't see. So in your relationships, as you're trying to get along with your in-laws, as you're trying to get along with your spouse or your partner or your kids or your whoever it is, as you're trying to, to um, get along with your Jasons, your coach is going to help you find things that you just can't see. You can't trust your body. Your body's going to lie to you. You're gonna, your body's going to tell you that you are so right and Jason is so wrong. And guess what? There may be some truth to that. 
but it's not, that's not the truth. That's not the way that it all plays out. So there you go. This has been on my mind. Um, something interesting that um, I'll just throw in because I think it kind of applies. Today, like I said, was the day that I was supposed to go flying for the first time. And as I got up and I was getting ready, hadn't checked the weather yet, I felt a little bit nervous. I felt a little bit, a lot scared. I haven't done this for a long time. I'm going to be approaching this this uh, skill that I had at one point, and it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. And I'm going to see somebody, flight instructors, by the way, <laughs> every flight instructor that I've had, with the exception of Jim, my very first one, young, young kid, like just recently at a college age kid. And I'm a lot of years past that. And so here I am at my age 54, becoming a very vulnerable student with um, my flight instructor, who's probably, he can't be more than 25, 26 years old. And there's a lot of me that doesn't like that feeling of being uncomfortable. There's a lot of me that doesn't like that feeling of being awkward or not great at something. And there's a lot of me that fights. And, and there was a big part of me that said, ah, maybe I should just cancel and I'll just do this later and later never comes, which is why I haven't been in the air for 11 years. And maybe you're thinking that about the way that you interact with your in-laws. Maybe you're thinking about that with really anything in your life. It's so easy to just remain comfortable. And I've spent a lot of my life remaining comfortable. The, the problem is your body will lie to you. Your body will lie to you. You can't trust your body. Your body is trying to tell you that this is safe, that this is um, the way that you're going to be able to survive. And I'm telling you, as I'm learning, as I continue to relearn for myself, it doesn't make for the most amazing life. It makes for a good life, but it's not for an amazing life. You have to trust your instruments. If you are interested in finding an instrument, somebody who can help a, with a different perspective. I would love to connect with you. Check the show notes. I've got a link to my schedule. I'll reach out. Let's see if uh, if we're a good fit, if we can be a good match. I would love to answer questions for you, see if there's anything I, I can do to help you out. In the meantime, so great sharing some uh, some thoughts with you this week. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Untoxic Positivity. We hope you found it helpful and inspiring. Remember that relationships are a work in progress and making mistakes is normal. And if you want to feel a deeper connection with the important people in your life, or if you just want to get along with your in-laws, I'd love to chat. Reach out to me at Ken at KenWilliamsCoaching.com or find the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with others who might benefit. And until next time, keep spreading untoxic positivity everywhere.